All right, so again, Psalms 124 through 128 this morning, uh, Songs of Ascents, part two. And I just want to remind you of the context that this section of the Psalter, this section of, of Psalms, is sung by pilgrims on their way up to Jerusalem. And so this would have been a traditional thing as they're making their way. And, <clears throat> you know, it makes sense. When we think about pilgrims, we think about something a little bit different, especially this time of year, right? We think about the pilgrims coming over from England here to the U.S. And, uh, but, but what those two sets of pilgrims have in common, those that were going up to Jerusalem and those that came over to, to the, what they consider the new world at the time, um, is that they're both realizing we're leaving to a place where we're on a journey. We're strangers, and so it's something for us to always remember because oftentimes uh, as we, we walk in this world, something happens and we're like, I just can't believe it's happening and what's going on. And we forget that we're strangers, that this world is foreign to us, that we're aliens to this world, that we weren't, we're, we're not finally built for this world, but our, our heavenly country is our home. And so it's important for us to remember that we're on a pilgrimage. We're on our way. We're ascending. Now, as I was thinking about that being pilgrims, I would imagine pilgrims of every age get tired. You know, as you're traveling from one place to another, it's tiring. You know, if you've ever been hiking before, it's kind of thinking about that, uh, an ascent that you go up. It's tiring. It may be beautiful sights along the way. You might really enjoy it. You might enjoy the fellowship. But at the end of the day, you're kind of stinky. Right, and you're, 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 weir- you're worn out, and you're dirty, and that's how it's going to be for us in this world. And so as we're moving through this, my hope for you and my hope for me is that we would remember that we're pilgrims, that this place is not our home, um, that we are on our way to our heavenly country with the Lord. So let's jump into Psalm 124. I'm actually going to read all of this uh, chapter at once, and then we'll bring a few things out of it. So this is a psalm of David, a song of ascents of David. It says, if... It, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. When their wrath was kindled against us, when the waters would have overwhelmed us, the stream would have gone over our soul. Then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now it's interesting is when I was in, I became a believer late in college and I was invited to go to this men's conference and I went to this men's conference. It was really exciting, but, and they gave tapes away to everybody. And in my, my, uh, my old Ford Tempo, you know, I had a little tape player in there and I remember listening to this tape over and over. In fact, I listened to it so many times it eventually gave out. <laughs> it, it wouldn't work anymore. Some of you are like, what's a tape? <laughs> you know, ask Ask someone over 40 after service. Um, but uh, the first song on there was taken from this psalm. And it was actually, as I kind of did a little research, I, I come to realize that it was a, a, so- a song or a hymn written by Martin Luther b- about this psalm. You know, if the Lord had not been on our side. And, and, and so it's important for us to understand as we look at human history and the biblical history that God continually delivered Israel from destruction and death. So read that. Go back and read the Old Testament, and you'll see time and time and time again when Israel deserved destruction, and yet God delivered them over and over and over again. And, and you know, uh, maybe once we get to heaven, we're going to see that in our own lives. 
Maybe there's gonna kind of be a best of of our lives and like the best of rescues. And we're gonna get to see all the ways that the Lord has delivered us from death and destruction along the way. And so this is a reminder for us as we think about this psalm, as we think about this continual deliverance, that the Lord has delivered us in this life. That if you're a believer, have made it to this point today, whether you realize it or not, God's delivered you. Okay, and I don't, how, I don't know how many times, you don't know how many times, but he has delivered you in this life and he will ultimately deliver us from this life. Please remember, that's the final delivery. The final delivery is a deliverance from this life. To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. And so I, w- I want you to think about for a minute the life of the Apostle Paul and how many deliveries he experienced, how many deliverances he had. And so would you just uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11? We're gonna turn to quite a few places here in the first part of this, uh, this teaching. And so I wanna look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 for just a minute. And I wanna do a couple of things with looking to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. First of all, we wanna see about how God was able to deliver Paul from many troubles many difficulties, many hardships. So we're gonna look at 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 28. But the second thing I want to remind you of is that you can be a well-favored servant of God and life be really hard. You could be somebody who God is using in in an amazing way and maybe in a way that you don't even yourself understand and it could be very challenging. And so that's what we see with the Apostle Paul. So 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 24, the context is he's dealing with this church in Corinth who are denying his apostleship. They're kind of a real mess. And so he's having to defend his apostleship by letting them know all the things that he's been through. So he says, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. In other words, um, the, the... they, were, they weren't allowed to beat someone 40 times uh, because they were afraid of going past that, so they would beat them 39. So just think about that for just a minute. On five separate occasions, Paul was beaten with 39 stripes across, across his back. And think about that. If, if somebody came up to you on the street and hit you once across the back, you were suing. <laughs> right? That's what we would do. We wouldn't stand for that. But on five separate occasions, he was beaten across the back with 39 stripes. That's a radical thing. And then notice, three times I was beaten with rods. So that's at the hand of Gentiles. So now we're we're up to eight different occasions when he suffered in this way. Once I was stoned. Okay, we read about that in the book of Acts. They stoned him, maybe to death, maybe not. We're not exactly sure. Um, Three times I was shipwrecked. And it's my old joke, but I use it again. Once I'm shipwrecked once, I'm going to stop going on boats. Okay, but that's not for the Apostle Paul. Three times he was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. In other words, everywhere Paul went, there was trouble. Every single place he went, there was someone out to get him. Someone was coming against them. It was always in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. So he says, all of those things that I dealt with, and those are kind of like external things, if you will, but then also I have my kind of daily duties of like caring about the churches and praying for them and writing letters to them and all that kind of stuff. And so we have to understand that 
God, for, for Paul to be able to write 2 Corinthians, God had to deliver him from all these things, okay? For you to sit where you are today, God has delivered you from a bunch of things, right? And he, he will continue to deliver you until he decides it's time to deliver you from this life into heaven. And so let's turn there now. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. So turning right a bit more, this is Paul's last letter. 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verses 6 through 8 here. Paul's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. At this time, Paul was in the, the Mamertine prison there in Rome. He was in a dungeon. He was awaiting the time where his, um, he was going to be executed. And so he says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And so if you're familiar in the Old Covenant, you would pour out these drink offerings. And so he's, he's like an offering to the Lord. And the time of my departure is at hand. And I love that. That word departure there, it's, it's, it's the picture of when you're about to set sail. And the, and the thing that you do before you set sail, the last thing you do is you, you unmoor the boat. You unmoor the ship. You, you take the ropes off. You throw the ropes onto the ship, and then you let it loose. That's what that imagery is. He says, I'm about to be unmoored. I'm about to depart. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. And finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is very important. So this is that final deliverance, but what I want you to see is Paul didn't see death as a loss, right? He sees it as gain. Well, how does he see it as gain? He says, well, I'm going to get a crown. I'm going to see the Lord. I'm going to be with other believers who love his appearing. This is an exciting thing. So he's willing to to keep running the race because he knows there's a finish line. And so this is important for us to understand that this is the kind of deliverance that we're promised by God in the scriptures. All right, let's turn back to Psalm, the Psalms now and move into Psalm 125. Looking at Psalm 125, we're just going to take this first verse here. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. So Mount Zion, it's, you know, it's really the, the mountains that make up Jerusalem, and kind of collectively they're referred to as Mount Zion and as they're going up to Mount Zion. But the word I want you to focus in on in verse 1 here is the word trust. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. That word trust means to have confidence in. Okay? Now we do this all the time. You know, when you came in here, you sat down on the chair, you had confidence in it. You trusted in it. You didn't think about that, right? You didn't look and you didn't kind of have some kind of measurements and what's the structural integrity of this chair? You know, you didn't do any of those things. You didn't ask to see uh, where, what, what um, you know, warehouse was this or what factory was this manufactured in? You trusted in it. And the reason why you trusted in this chair is because you sat in chairs over and over again and probably the majority of time those chairs have held you. Maybe sometimes you were at a picnic in those old plastic chairs. You know, and maybe you kind of got rocking in them and one of the legs came off and you were in a funny home video, right? That, that could happen. But for the most part, we understand that we can have confidence, we can trust these chairs because chairs generally hold us up. Well, same thing for us when the Lord. If you've spent enough time with the Lord, then we should grow in trust, right? We can trust him. And so this is important. This lesson here from verse one is that trusting in the Lord is key to a life of stability, trusting in the Lord is key to a life of stability. Now, if you want to have like a manic life, 
If you want to have a chaotic life, if you want to have a life that's just like, I just want to get up every morning and just be completely confused about what's going to happen next. If you want that kind of life, don't trust in the Lord. Continually get on the internet and scroll through and try to find what's going now, what's trending now, what should I do now, what should I think now. That's going to lead to a lot of anxiety and tension. So instead, just say, you know what? How about I just trust the Lord? Come what may. You know, using the old phrase, please excuse me for using it in a church, but it's a biblical term, come hell or high water, right? I'm just going to trust the Lord. And, and so l- let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4, because this is key. If you and I find in our life that we're really unstable right now, then something's wrong with our trust in the Lord, Okay. Now, is the Lord going to allow craziness in your life? Absolutely. We just read 2 Corinthians. God is going to allow craziness in your life because his purposes are, are higher. His ways are higher. Um, as it says in, in Proverbs that uh, a man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? You and I don't know the way that we're going, but we know the God who's leading us. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, this is a really important section of of Scripture because it talks to us about how we can be stable, but it also talks about the purpose of the church. Why does a church exist? Notice, starting in verse 11, and he himself, that's Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, notice this, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so really that's our vision for this fellowship is what we're doing is we're trying to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We're trying to equip you to know the word of God, to obey the word of God, to walk in the spirit, and then to go out into a sick and dying world and share truth with them. For you to go out and make disciples of all the nations. So that's what we're seeking to do. Right? And notice that word edifying. That means strengthening. That means to encourage, to, to build up. Notice, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that ties to Romans 8.29, conforming us into the image of Christ. And then here it is, here's stability, verse 14. That we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Children are easily deceived. Children, they they believe whatever is is told to them, but to their detriment, right? As, As they can be told all kinds of lies, and so they're tossed to and fro. And so Paul is saying, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that when we know the word of God and we obey the word of God and we trust the word of God, then what happens is we're no longer these people moved about, right? You, you think about it, when, when you're on a, a cruise ship, get in the middle of the Atlantic, you want that cruise ship to be big and stable. <laughs> you don't want to be on a little, you know those like little boats with the, the paddles, you know, with your feet, you do with the, the pedals you do with your feet, that you kind of do a real like, you don't need to be in the middle of the Atlantic on that. But some Christians, because they've really never grown in their faith, they've never spent time in the word, they've never really trusted in the word, then what happens, they're kind of in this world like on that little boat. But God wants us to be solid. God wants us to be strong in him, not tossed about. Because people are going to be tricky. People are going to be deceitful. 
And then verse 15 and 16, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, what I really want you to take from verses 15 and 16 is that every person in a, in a church body has, has a part to play right, that we help each other grow, we help each other mature, we help each other be edified. So if if we're doing our part, we're going to have the stability. And so it's possible, it's possible for us to be stable in Christ. All right, let's turn back to Psalm 125, if you would. Let's look at verses 2 and 3. It says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. Okay, so we look at verses 2 and 3, and we're like, huh, I don't know. It seems like Jerusalem suffered a bunch. It seems like Jerusalem was taken over quite a few times. What's going on here? Well, the way that I understand verses 2 and 3 is when they're walking with the Lord. Because what did verse 1 say? Verse 1 said, those who trust in the Lord. But if you read your scriptures, you know over and over again what happened to the nation of Israel is they strayed from the Lord. They didn't walk with the Lord. And and so this really is a promise when Israel was walking with the Lord. As they walked in obedience to the Lord, the Lord would do this thing. And, And so, but why did he do it? Why did he want to protect them? Notice, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. In other words, the Lord sought to protect them from going off into sin. And that's really important. The Lord wants to protect us from going off into sin. Okay, so, so turn once again to the New Testament. I warned you. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this time. I want to look at verses 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 13. Now, in context, Paul is bringing up some examples from the Old Testament, from the book of Exodus, when the people kind of went off into different sins, Okay. And so here, he, Paul makes a, 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 an audacious claim, right, to us as believers. He says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Okay. In other words, he says, if, if you think that you're, you've got it all together and you're not worried about sin and you can kind of do whatever and it not affect you, he says, watch out, right? If, if you're someone who's you know, I just really have struggled with, you know, getting drunk over the years. And, but you know what? I think I can just go to the bar with my friends and have a couple of beers and it's going to be just fine. It's just, that's, that's a warning. Okay, be careful. And then, this is what he says, though. When we're tempted, that actually we don't have to give in. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. So, so when we're tempted, it's not like, oh, this is the first time in human history this has happened. Now, it's common, right? And notice, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. In other words, when we're tempted, and we're going to be tempted, right? Because we have the world, the flesh, and the devil. When we're tempted, there's actually a way of escape. God has provided that. We don't have to give in. So every time for me as a believer that I've given into sin is because I've chosen to. I haven't taken the way of escape. And so this is important for us because what happens is we take that way of escape, well, then what we keep our witness, right? We're, we're en- enabled to be strong and all of these things. And so this is important. And, and it, it kind of, even as I'm teaching this, I'm just like, wow, this sounds really old-fashioned in 2023. 
almost 2024. Wow, avoiding temptation and, and not giving in to sin and leading a holy lifestyle and all that kind of stuff. You know, it, it's very old-fashioned because we live in a, in a, let's be honest, we live in a society that's built on sin and the proliferation of sin and the payment for sin and, and the covetousness and the sexual immorality and all of that kind of stuff. So, so I know that, that I'm, I'm speaking kind of like a, like a fish out of water here. But this is the reality. This is the promise that we're made, that we don't have to live a life of giving over ourselves over to sin. We can be different. That's a wonderful thing. We have freedom from that. All right, let's turn back to Psalm 125, if you would. Going into verse four now. It says, do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. That's just beautiful. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in their hearts. And so, so this is really the psalmist asking for a blessing to come upon believers. For a blessing to come upon believers. So I would encourage you, I'd encourage me, that this is a prayer we should pray. You know, we should make verse 4 a, pray, a prayer. We should ask, Lord, would you do good to those who are good? Would you do good to those who are upright in heart? Would you bless them today? Would you encourage them as they keep running the race? Would you build them up? Right? We should do that because while it's right for us to pray for those who are lost, for those who are in sin, we should. What I found, at least in my own life, that's kind of where the majority of my praying goes toward those who are walking in disobedience. And then I actually don't pray as much for those who are walking in obedience. And so I think it'd be important for us to, to kind of balance that out some and to really be praying for those who are walking with the Lord that God's blessing would come upon them. Verse five, as for, uh, as for such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. Peace be upon Israel. And, and so right here in verse five, we, we have this judgment upon the disobedient, right? That the, there's a judgment that comes. The Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. And, and so we always have to remember that, right? That there's a consequence for sin. That, that sin has consequence. But I, I love the end of that verse, or the, some of the psalms in this way, some of these ascents psalms, they end with that, what we see at the end of verse five, peace be upon Israel. Peace be upon Israel. And so this is something to remind ourselves, that submission to God is the key to peace. Submission to God is the key to peace. So when you and I are like in a situation and we don't have peace, and sometimes it's, it's really radical, right? So you could come up here and you could say, well, what about this? And what about this? And, and, and I'm not God, right? I don't have it. But just, I just know as a general principle that submission to God is the key to peace. So even when, when life is out of control, if, if I could just get on the floor before the Lord and say, I don't know what you're doing in this, I don't know, but I just submit to you in that. I submit to you in whatever's going on. I hate what's happening right now, but I submit to you, okay? And that ties into what Paul said, right? Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make a request known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding. So you don't need to know how God's peace works. It surpasses understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. All right, let's move on now. Oh, whoops, one more related to this. I wanted to give you Isaiah 26, verse three. Isaiah 26, verse three says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That's radical, right? And, and this, is what, this is what the scripture says, that you will keep him, God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And so that's what God's promising, peace, peace 
and when we trust in him, when we set our mind on him. All right, moving on now to Psalm 126. And, and Psalm 20, 126, it, it's, the context is the return from the Babylonian captivity. So when they came back from the Babylonian captivity, we see verses one through three, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. When our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing, they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. So it's beautiful. So it's, so it's this idea that as they were coming back to the promised land from their captivity, those around them from other nations, the Gentiles, saw how glad they were at being released and they were able to recognize, huh, their God's working for them. Their God's done something in their life. And so there's an important, important principle here that joy in the Lord is a witness to unbelievers. Joy in the Lord is a witness to unbelievers. So you and I, when we choose joy, right, over, you know, being bummed out about everything and choosing to be glum and kind of being the Eeyores of the world, right, when we choose, you don't have to be Tigger, right, but just don't be Eeyore. Um, we, We can choose that and then that's actually a witness to unbelievers, Because when you and I walk around as believers, and again, you guys can all criticize me for this, when we walk around as as believers and just like, yeah, Jesus really saved me, and it's uh, it's been awesome. I mean, that's not really much of a witness. Now, it's not faking, right? Because you're going to have seasons of of heartbreak, and you're going to have seasons where you know, you're going to have to kind of pray, though he may slay me, yet I'll praise him. You're going to have those seasons, absolutely. But when the general trajectory of your life is like, I'm, you know, unbelievers in your life are avoiding you because they know you're just going to bum them out, then that's not a witness. But, but this joy is a witness. And if we can, can really contemplate, think about, meditate upon the future that's awaiting us, then we can do what Paul says, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful about what's going on right now, but also realizing what's to come. You know, I don't feel the same way about it now, but when I was a little kid, I always knew how far we were from Christmas. <laughs> I always knew, because every year I looked forward to Christmas until that first year when I didn't get toys, and I was like, well, this stinks now. But when I was a kid, no matter what was going on, Christmas is coming. <laughs> I, I always look forward to that. And so for believers, you have to realize Christmas is coming right? Heaven is coming. Get in your Bibles and read Revelation 19 through 22 and realize you're in that. That's your future. That's my future. And so we can have that joy. Now, verse 4 of Psalm 126, we read, bring back our captivity, O Lord, as streams in the south. Okay, so the south is a Negev. It's a dry area. But whenever the rainy season came, then what happened, the streams would come back, right? Those, those dry creek beds, those dry river beds would fill up with water again. So this is a prayer as they're coming back from captivity that more people would return from captivity, that more people would come back to the promised land, that more people would refill it. This is a great prayer for us to pray for people to be saved, right? We've been released from captivity. We've been released, we've been freed, but we're not selfish and say, well, I'm glad that I'm going to heaven, but who cares about everybody else? No, but to say, Lord, would you have streams of people pouring into heaven? 
with more and more people come. I want to see more and more people saved. I want to see revival happen in this land. And so that's what we have there in verse 4. And then the tone changes. It's interesting, verses 5 and 6. It says, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. So it's really interesting. I did a little research on this. Commentators um, you know, that, that I saw seem to think that this refers to when they come back to the promised land, you know, so they're joyful that they left captivity, but once they get to the promised land, back to the promised land, it's hard work, right? Because people haven't been farming. So, so there's actually a lot of hard work to do once you get back. And isn't that the Christian life? Right, the Christian life, you, you become a believer and you're saved and there's excitement and then you realize over time is like, wow, there's a hard work element to this. There's a denying myself, taking up my cross and following him. There's all of those things. And so it's this idea that there's gonna be hard work in the promised land reestablishing things, but that hard work and those tears, what does it lead to? It leads to good fruit later on. And I think this is a, an excellent analogy for the Christian life. Right, when, when you're seeking to serve the Lord, you're often sowing in tears. You're praying over your lost loved ones. You're, you're reaching out to people who it doesn't seem like you know, there's, there's any kind of thing coming back, but later on, you're gonna reap in joy. That, that you're going to you know, go forth weeping, right? You're sowing the seed for, you're, you're sowing the seed, you're doing all of those things, and you're just like, I don't know if this is working. The sweat of my brow and what's happening, but then later on, right, there's gonna be rejoicing. So the verse I wanna give to you along these lines is Galatians chapter six, verse nine. And it says, and let us not grow weary while doing good. Why would it say that? Well, because doing good in this fallen world is tiring. It's wearisome. And so Paul exhorts us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, don't grow weary. I know, I know that that's a tendency, okay? And that, that growing weary could also be translated, don't chicken out. <laughs> don't, don't give up on it. Don't give up. It says, don't grow weary while doing good. Notice, for in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart, if we don't give up. And so this idea of, all right, as long as I'm alive here on earth, I'm going to keep farming. I'm going to keep doing it. It's going to be hard. And I'm going to sweat. And I'm going to cry sometimes. But I'm going to trust that the harvest is coming. Okay? And, and that's what we have here. So it's a beautiful picture. All right, let's continue on. Psalm 127. Notice this is a psalm of Solomon here. A song of ascents of Solomon. Verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Okay, so what I take from verse one here is that the Lord is central to anything we seek to do. The Lord is central to anything we seek to do, and if it's not about the Lord, then it's ultimately futile. And you can, uh, if you, you know, it's funny, I, I talk to so many people, and even unbelievers, they love the book of Ecclesiastes, just because it's kind of really poetic and it kind of sounds cool. Here's what the, the central premise of the book of Ecclesiastes is life is meaningless without God. You can, you can have all the money, you could do all the things, you can go all the places, you don't have God, it's pointless. That's the story of the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and so that's what he's saying here. Now I want to take you to a couple of places of what Paul has to say on this issue. So would you turn to Philippians chapter 3? Philippians chapter 3. Again, we're, we're, we're contemplating this idea that the Lord has to be the center of whatever we're doing because if he's not the center, ultimately, it's not fruitful. It's not useful. 
Philippians chapter 3. I want to look at verses 7 through 11 here. Paul says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now that word rubbish there, it sounds like Paul is like from England, right? I count it all rubbish. Uh, That's not what it means. That rubbish actually means dung. That's what it means. He says, I count it all as dung that I may gain Christ. So Paul's basically saying, all these things I did to try to, to kind of make a name for myself, to find my place in this world before Christ, it's, if I may say, it's poop. That's what he's saying. And he says, and why? That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. What he's essentially saying here, and especially in verse 11, because it's kind of the way it's phrased, he's basically saying, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to just be with the Lord. I'm gonna do it. It's gonna, he's the center. It's about him. Everything that's outside of him, it's not worth it. I don't care about it. Let's let it go. It's all about him. He's the center. Now let's couple this with what he says in Colossians chapter 1. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, okay? This, this section right here, please hear me, is if you ever um, are witnessing to somebody about the deity of Christ, or you're maybe in your own heart and mind, you're kind of wondering about the deity of Christ, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18 should be one of those places that should put that to rest. Okay, so this is what the Apostle Paul says about the Lord Jesus. Notice, for by him, and and in reference, it's Jesus, for uh, by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Okay, uh, please understand what Paul's doing. Paul's taking, so, so God is his own category. The triune God is uncreated. So he's taking every created thing and he's saying every single created thing that you can think of was made by Jesus and for Jesus. By Jesus and for Jesus. Notice verse 17. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. In other words, the fact that you're sitting here today and all the cells of your body aren't flying apart is because Jesus is holding you together right now. In him all things consist And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that notice, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So this makes life real simple for us. The Lord Jesus is to be the center of everything. Because everything was made through him and for him and by him, he holds it all together. So let me just make everything in life about Jesus. Just everything about him. And then what happens? Okay, I don't have to question. Well, should I be doing this thing? Was Jesus the center of this thing? No. Okay, don't do it. Is Jesus the center of this thing? Sure. All right, let's do that thing. So, so it really simplifies life. Let's turn back to Psalm 127 now, if you would. Continuing on to verse 2 now. It says, It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for he gives his beloved sleep. Every teenager says, Ah, oh, this is my verse. It's vain for you to rise up early. It's right in the scriptures. Mom, I can show up late to school. It's fine. It's not the context. right? The context here is working in independence of God. 
right? Because what's verse one say? Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord guards the city. And so it's this, verse two is this idea of apart from God, I'm gonna get it done. Apart from God, I'm gonna stay up early. I'm sorry, I'm gonna rise up early. I'm gonna you know, stay up late. I'm gonna like just kind of sacrifice everything for my job. I'm gonna do these things. And he's basically saying that's, that's fruitless. It's not about how hard you can work independently of God. It's about how closely you can walk with God. And so I love, the, to, to me, the, the verses to, to take from this, and I'll, I'll read them for you. Colossians chapter three. Colossians three, verses 23 and 24. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. So just, we can just, whatever we do, do it for the Lord. And say, I'm, I don't have to get these things done in my own power, my own ability. I can trust the Lord. All right, let's look at verses three through five. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is a man who has a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Okay, and so there's a couple things here. Number one, children are a blessing and a gift from God. Okay, children are a blessing and a gift from God. But children are people, right? And like all people, they must trust in the Lord if they're to be a continued blessing in the lives of their, of their parents. That's just reality, right? It's not like, well, children are this separate category. No, children become adults. <laughs> you know, children go through all those things. So it's this idea. So those, both things can be true. Children can be a blessing and gift from God, but at the same time, those children must trust in the Lord if they're to be that continual blessing to their believing parents. So uh, Psalm 128 now, and it has a real Proverbs feel to it. Psalm 128 does. It says verse one here, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Okay, so what can we take from verse one here? It was simply this. The truly blessed life is a life of obedience. If you say, I just want to live a blessed life. I want to live a life of just, you know, feeling God's favor. I want to live a life of walking. Just obey, right? Just obey the Lord. That's, that's what it is. Um, is, is there, there's nothing better than to walk in obedience to the Lord. And so there's a blessing there. And so who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. In other words, we trust the Lord. We realize that, that he's the one that has control of our, our lives, that he's the one who discipline us if we do wrong. And so the verse I wanted to share with you related to verse one is John chapter eight, verse 29. Uh, Jesus said this, the father has not left me alone for I always do those things that please him. Okay, so let's do the math. Jesus always did those things that please the Father, always. The, the God wants to conform us into the image of his son. So what would that look like? That would look like a person who continually does what the, the Father wants us to do. So if Jesus always obeyed, then the more that we look like Jesus, the more we'll obey. Now, our obedience, of course, in this, in our, in our, our fallen, this fallen world and in our sinful flesh, we're not gonna be perfect in obedience but we can be trending upward, right? We all see that. We, we, we all see people, you, you understand that. You understand like this, let's just kind of take from a, a worldly standpoint. You know like different musicians or different actors that are kind of trending upward. You're like, man, they're getting better and better. And, and you see those when, you know, they're kind of past their prime and like they're just not really good anymore. They're, they're just only playing Vegas, right? That, that's what happens over time. 
And so for us as believers, the, the thing is, it's not dependent upon our age. That's wonderful. When it comes to these things like acting and singing, it's age-dependent. For you as a believer, you can continue to trend upwards in your obedience until you get to heaven. The only reason that you would trend downward is you and I would make a choice to say, you know what, I, I really don't want to follow the Lord like I used to. I just want to kind of do my own thing now. But, but we can continue going onward and upward until we get to be with him. Let's look at verse 2 now of Psalm 128. It says, when you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. So the idea here is that there's, you know, contentment, there is contentment in simply doing what God has called you to do. There is contentment in God, what God has called you to do. Here's our problem though. We have too much access to other people's lives. Or, maybe let me rephrase it, we have too much access to what other people portray their lives to be. And so we see all these people and their lives and like, oh, why is it so good and it's so much better than my life and I can't believe it and God's just really holding out on me and all that kind of stuff. And we, Jesus would say to us, what is that to you? You follow me. It, just live our own lives. And so let me give you a couple of verses related to this. The first one's uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. says this, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. I love that. My dad used to insult me when I was a kid. He was like, I would do something. He said, may all your children be born naked. <laughs> and I didn't understand it at the time when I was little, but I was like, that seems insulting. You know, and then I realized, oh, that's how it works. Ah. And, and that's, what, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here, right? We came in naked. We can't take anything out. And then he says this, and having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. All right, God's provided for me. You know, maybe I don't have the newest car. I don't have the newest this, the newest that. That's okay. Can, can my car get me to work? Great. Awesome. So godliness with contentment is great gain. And then I would also encourage you to couple this with Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, his work of art, his poem, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are only called to walk in the good works God's prepared for you. You're not called to walk in the good works that your spouse has been called to, or that your children have been called to, or your parents have been called to, or your boss has been called to, just to you. So, so you can actually just walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit and what does the Holy Spirit want me to do and how does he want me to, to, to obey him and it just brings a great contentment if you and I can find what we're called to and just walk in that. All right, continuing on now in verse three, it says, your wife shall be a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. So again, this is very, sounds you know, very Proverbs-ish. Right? And so it's this idea of a, of a, of a fruitful familial life. And, and here's what I want to take from, you, or from this, and I want to encourage you with, is families matter to God. Families matter to God. And if you look at culture and what's happened in the world, you know, really, especially over the last hundred years, there's been a concerted attack on families and just confusion on identity and what families are like and all this kind of stuff. But, but I just want you to re just please remember families matter to God. Families are important to God. Look at how much biblical familial language there is. The first person of the Godhead re refers to himself as father. 
The second person of the, the Godhead is referred to as son. Right, we have, you know, that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. That we have this fellowship, this community. And so there's a lot of familial language in the Bible. So, so never think families are unimportant. Families are important to God. Verse 4 says, Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Again, there's another lesson that the fear of the Lord brings blessing. Obedience brings blessing. If you want to live a blessed life, then obey the Lord. Now, you might say, well, I've, I've been obeying the Lord. It doesn't seem like I'm getting ahead. I got, well, it's, it's, how do you evaluate blessing? Do you evaluate blessing by I, I have you know, more material goods than my neighbor? Or do you value blessing as I'm walking in humble obedience to God and I'm enjoying fellowship with him? I, I'm loving God and I'm loving others. That, that's a life of blessing. That's, that you're not only being blessed yourself, but you're blessing to others. Then verses five and six says, the Lord bless you out of Zion and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. And so I love this and and I would encourage you to read this as a promise or read it as a prayer, right? That this blessing would come upon those who walk in obedience to the Lord. And so this would, again, verses five and six would be a good thing to pray this thing for others, right? Lord, would you, would you pl- bless others? Would you, would you have your good upon them all the days of their life? May they see their grandchildren. That's, that's a wonderful thing to prayer. So some just different ideas, encouraging things to help us as we make our pilgrim way through this world. Because what happens is it's a, it's a, very, it's a challenge. This world's a challenge. Every day's a challenge. Our enemy doesn't sleep. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We're, so, we're supposed to be aware. And so I just wanted to give you these reminders. So let's go ahead and close with three reminders taken from this study. Reminder number one, as believers, realize that we have a departure scheduled. Okay? You may be going on a trip this holiday season. You know, okay, I need to make it to the airport in this time because this is when my departure is and I got to get through security and all that kind of stuff. And, and you take that seriously. Well, so it is, we, have to, we, we realize that we have a departure scheduled. Now, God can't trust us with that information. He can't let us know when our departure from this world is because it, it just, it's too much for us to handle. But here's what we do know. I don't know when my departure is, so let me go ahead and remain faithful until that day. Because whenever that day comes and I kind of you know, pass through that tape on the finish line of my race is over, I want to have been found faithful. All right, second thing, number two, number two, trusting the Lord is key to a life of stability. You and I can't control the actions of others. You and I can't control, as much as we think we can, politicians in Washington. We can't control inflation or these things. We can't, okay? And please understand, watching seven hours a day of news doesn't help you control it any more than you are now. So if you want stability in your life, trust the Lord. If you want peace in your life, trust the Lord. That's the key. And then thirdly and finally, remember, the Lord is to be at the center of anything and everything we do. The Lord Jesus is to be the center of anything and everything that we do because it should all ultimately be for him because he's the one who will give us the reward of the inheritance.